Well, good morning again. Uh, it's always great to be with you, and I love sharing here at First Church. So, I'm, uh, yeah, when Bob called me on Thursday, uh, I wasn't excited that he was sick, but I, there was a part of me that was glad because I love to be here. I love to share with you. So, but we are praying for him to get better, and I'm sure he'll be back next week. Uh, but I would like to invite you to uh, turn your Bibles or open your apps uh, to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage, uh, one that uh, probably you know, most of you, even if you yeah, haven't even read through Romans, I'm sure you've heard at one time or another. And um, I want to say this, probably nothing I say today will be new, uh, but I find, uh, yeah, a lot of times in Scripture, that's, that's the beauty about Scripture, you can read the same passage over and over and over and years later, and God can show you something different uh, and it gets deeper and deeper. So um, I want to encourage you as we go through this, it may be things you have heard before, uh, but I pray through the Spirit they'll be new and afresh, and we'll be encouraged and moved towards Him. I want to start, though, and don't turn there. You can just, you can just listen, but we're going to be in Romans. But I, I do want to start with uh, a passage in Psalm 13. Psalm 13 starts out, and he says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Um, I have found that the older I get, uh, the more I, I, I love the Psalms. Uh, because in the Psalms, man, so many times I can see something that I can identify with. And, and as I read Psalm 13, man, it's like, man, I've, I've been there. I've asked those exact same questions. And I love the Psalms because of their honesty. Well, as you read through them, you, you have some Psalms where uh, the writers are praising God. We thank you for how amazing things are and you are so good to us. And you have some Psalms where they're saying, man, God, where are you? You have Psalms like this. And a lot of the Psalms you will feel, you will have questions where they say, God, you know, where are you? Why are you hiding yourself? How long is this thing going to take? Why are you so quiet? Why is this happening? Where is your love? What are you doing? What's next, Lord? Like, what do you have for me? And I have found in the Psalms so many times, people feeling the way I feel and thinking the way that I think, and asking the same questions that uh, I think we all ask at times. And I want to start this morning, uh, and I really encourage you to do this, but my question to you is this, what would be your question today? Like, think about where you're at in your life, and maybe what you're going through. And, and so maybe you're in a season of grief, maybe you're in a season of pain, maybe a season of uncertainty, maybe one of doubt of questioning, of frustration. Maybe you're in a season of trials. And I mean, for me, I look at my life, I've been in all of those places and will continue to be in all of those places. But in those seasons, uh, they tend to bring about these questions. And these questions often don't have answers, at least the ones that we want to have. I mean, there's things that have happened in my life, and you could share this too, where I have really never felt like I got an answer for this thing. And the cool thing is, as you read the book of Psalms, man, the writers there say, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. 
I'm there right now. I've been there. But they also speak of a good and loving God, the one we can trust in and wait in. But again, what would be your question right now? Maybe it's a why question. Maybe it's a what question. Maybe it's a how question. But what would be your question right now? And I do want to say this. I am not going to be able to answer it. So you're not going to walk out of here with the answers to your deepest questions you have in life. Uh, because again, those many times are unanswerable. But I do want to say this, like we're not alone. You know, one of the things, if you read church history, if you read, uh, man, you know, books and letters and, and just things from followers of Jesus, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries ago, you'll find that people had the exact same questions. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus that you, man, you love him and you serve him and you go after him, but along the way, there'll be times in which, man, you have questions and you're not sure what's going on and you're not sure what's happening. It's a part of following him. And I would say that scripture may not always give you the answer that you're looking for or the ones that you think that you need, but I found it does something, I believe, much better. And that's kind of where I want to go today. So if we look at Romans chapter 8, and bear with me, I've got two iPads up here, one with my notes and one with the screen, so I'm trying to keep them in sync, and hopefully we will do, do that together. But Romans chapter 8, I wanna, uh, we're going to start with verse 18, but before we get there, though, I, I want to kind of just really, if you come in here and say like, hey, just a, a little bit the context uh, that we're in, and, and it's difficult sometimes uh, to, to jump into a, a passage uh, because, man, you know, these passages are based on chapters, and these chapters are based on the theme of a book. So just real quick, Romans chapter 8, 18, right before that, if you look at Romans chapter 8, chapter, you know, uh, verse 1, a very, very popular verse, but uh, the end of 7 uh, and 8, 8, 1, uh, you have Paul. You know, in the end of 7, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, so I love the end of chapter 7 because that's where Paul says, the things I know I should be doing, I don't do those things. And the things that God says I shouldn't be doing, those are the things I do. And man, I get so much comfort from that. I mean, this is the apostle Paul, the, the man who wrote half of the New Testament letters, and he's saying, man, I see sin in my life, and I see what it's doing in my life. And, and he says here, wretched man that I am, I am a wretched man. Who will deliver me? Who will save me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And what is Paul saying there? He says, man, I see my death. I see the struggle. I see my life. Who's going to rescue me? He says, man, Jesus has. He's set me free. He has rescued me. He has delivered me from this body of death. And it goes on and talks about, you know, uh, verse 1 through about verse 17 what that life looks like, this life in the Spirit. And then we come to verse 18. And I just want to read 18 through 27, and then we'll come back and share a few things from this passage. But verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for, with, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so here, Paul, he, he moves again from 8.1, this idea that, man, God has rescued us, he has freed us, he has set us free from this bondage, that we have a new life in Christ, a new life in the Spirit, this abundant life that, uh, that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. 10. And then he comes to verse 18, he says this, but there will be sufferings. And we are living literally in what I call here this in-between, this, this uh, day of great salvation, this day of which we have no condemnation. And he also says this day that one day when all things will be set right, all things will be made right. And we are sitting here right in the middle of those two days. And as you read scripture, often it says those are the days of suffering. Those are the days that we face things that are difficult. And obviously, if we're honest, we know that and we see that things are not as they should be. Okay, you don't believe me tonight when you go home uh, at 6 o'clock, turn on the news. And right after the local news, you have the national news. And very quickly, you will say to yourself, man, things are not as they should be. There is pain, there is suffering, there is difficulties, there are trials. And Scripture says, Paul says here, that's where we live. We live in this time of suffering. They are not as they were created to be or they were meant to be. You know, Scripture says at one point, sin, and you guys know this, sin enters the world and messes everything up. And I'm not sure why I thought about this, but I thought about, you know, for me, when I was growing up, uh, man, I, I was a messy kid. Um, I was such a messy kid that one time my dad took a picture of my room. He, he was going to a, a counselor, to a therapist for a different reason, but apparently my room was such an issue in his life. He took a picture of my room and then took those pictures to the therapist and just basically said, hey, here's what I got to face every day. <laughs> and I still have those pictures. There are clothes everywhere. There's a, a yellow Walkman on the floor. There, uh, the bed is, I mean, there's just stuff everywhere. And I thought about my room. And to me, that, that's a picture of this world. 
Like sin has come into the world and has messed it up. Things are not where they should be. There's chaos. You know, things are broken. You know, sin has made a mess of a world, and that's what he is saying here. And I love this passage here in verse 23. He says this, you're not only creation, you know, but we ourselves. So he talks about this idea that when sin comes into the world, like creation was actually, it was put into bondage. That creation itself is crying out and looking for the day that God comes in and sets it free. And he says, not only creation, but it's also us. It's we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So what does that mean? So one of the things I've been trying to do, uh, and I'm not that good at it yet, but I have this idea that I mean, I want to have a nice garden. Uh, and, and pretty much the point I'm at is I buy plants and they die. I'm trying, I'm trying to get better. But every now and then, you know, you, you plant a tomato plant or you, a pepper plant or, or whatever it is, and you get that first tomato, you know, or that first pepper. And it's so exciting. Like, you get that thing and you, you go, and I know for me, my, my wife makes fun of me, but I show my wife or I show my kids or I, I'm proud of it. I'll take pictures of it and send, and send it to my mom in Danville. And, uh, but that's the fresh fruits. It's a picture of what hopefully will come down the road. So, uh, when we were in Arizona, I planted uh, some peach trees. You know, so we just moved back from Arizona. Uh, but right when we were moving, this peach tree that I planted last year, I started seeing all these peaches. And there was just maybe four or five. You know? But that was a picture of what was to come. And here Scripture says, man, we have that in our lives. Like we see what life is with God. We get a glimpse of what life is that, that Jesus gives us, and it's a picture of what is the more to come. But he says here, even though we have that, we groan inwardly, and, and I love that phrase, we groan inwardly, uh, because, man, I, I experienced that outwardly. Uh, the other day, I think it was last week, uh, my daughters were home from VCU, and we were either on the couch watching football, or we were watching a movie, but we were sitting on the couch for a while, uh, and I got up from the couch, and my knees were just like pop, 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 just cracking like crazy. And my, my daughter, Gianna, she's like, Dad, your knees, like they're popping like 20 times. And I've noticed as I get up, and, and you guys will do it too, if we were just dead quiet, we would hear all these groans as all of us over 45 get up to stand up. I groan when I stand up, and I groan when I get out of bed, and I, I pretty much just groan all day now. Um, and here scripture says, man, that we are groaning inwardly. That we see these first fruits and we see the world around us and we see the difference. We see this in between and we really have no words for it. Again, when you watch the news or you see or you hear something that's going on in your neighborhood or, you, or just as you look, I mean, that's, we groan inwardly. There's this pain there's this, this, this angst there's, within us. We are groaning. And it says we are doing that as we eagerly wait. We are looking forward to the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are looking forward to the day that God makes everything right. He says creation is looking forward to that. All of creation, ourselves were included. We are looking for the day that our Savior returns and puts everything back in place. The mess is no more. He says we live in a state of futility. 
You know, futility is the idea that we live in vanity, that we live in emptiness, we live in fruitlessness. He says that's our world, futility and groaning. And I go back to Psalm 13. Does that not describe what Psalm 13 was, was talking about? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? Where are you? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm facing? And he says here, we live in this time of waiting for the redemption of creation. And as verse 24 through 25 tells us, you know, that is where our hope lies. You know, we have this hope that Jesus will return, that he is going to return one day and set everything back to where it's supposed to be. And we know that's going to happen. We have the hope. It's not, it's not just this like flippant hope. It's a hope based on the resurrection. My Savior has risen again, and he's going to come back again. But that's still, we live in that waiting. So the first thing that I want to share with you is this, that nothing that comes into your life can compare to the glory that awaits you. And I hope in some way that is comforting. I know for me, um, yeah, again, the older I get, the more comforting that is. You know, I grew up in a, uh, a church not too far from here. It was a, a more traditional church, and, and just, yeah, we just sang hymns every Sunday. And as a, as a teenager, I'm like, man, this is, this, can we get some new stuff in here? Can we get some newer songs? And now I find I, I love those hymns. I would almost rather sing those hymns than anything else. And there's a hymn called In the Sweet By and By. I'm not going to sing it because all you guys would get up and leave. But here's the lyrics. There is a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. We shall sing on that beautiful shore, the melodious songs of the blessed, and our spirit shall sorrow no more. I love that. Our spirit shall sorrow no more. Our spirit shall groan no more. Not a sign for the blessing of rest. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In a sweet by and by, we shall meet on the beautiful shore. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, one day we will be on that beautiful shore, but for right now there is suffering. But as you are suffering, keep your eyes on the hope that we have in Jesus and where he will bring us. But what about now? Because again, I, I read that, and if that's the only thing he has to offer me, then I, I'm in trouble. I need more than that, God. I'm thankful that day is coming. I'm thankful that help is coming. I'm thankful that you're going to make things right sometime in the future. But what about right now when I have all these questions? And thankfully, Paul does not stop. He continues on to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So again, it's in the context of suffering all right, and this is a, a beautiful verse. We, we put it on coffee cups, all right? We put it on our walls. We stitch it on our pillows. We print it on T-shirts, on stickers, all right? We come back to this, and it's, it's a, an amazing promise, a beautiful verse. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So just real quick, I want to go through this. He starts out and he says, and we what? What does it say? We know this. You know, when you have questions about your life and questions about what you're going through, there's a lot of things that you don't know. That we can go back, how long, O Lord, or why is this happening, or what is next? I don't understand. But here he says, here is something that you can know. When you face these things, yes, you have lots of questions, but here is something that you can rest in. And we know that for those who love God, for those who are followers of Jesus, to those who trust in him for, his, for their salvation, to those whose life is built on them, he says this. He says all things. Okay, so what does that mean? It means all things. All the things in verses 18 through 27, all the things that we'll look at in verses 31 through 39, it's all the bad things, all the good things. I mean, everything in life, that's the idea. Those are those two words. Everything that you face in life, Every part of your day, everything that comes into your life, he says this, they work together for good. Now, when you see that, that kind of seems like in some way, I've heard one person say it's like a bowl of soup. Uh, so last week, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do better with my cooking. So in our household, uh, my wife teaches full-time at Dutch Elementary, and I substitute, you know, twice a week. So I'm the one who makes the breakfast. I'm the one who makes the dinners. And I'm like, if it was up to me, it'd be like fast food and just, what, any stuff you can heat up in the oven. But I'm trying to do better. So last week, I made homemade chicken noodle soup. Didn't turn out that great, but I made it. You know, but what did I do? Well, I just put in all the ingredients, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the chicken stock and the, you know, the noodles and the, the celery and the carrots and the seed. And I put it all together and I heated it up and it, it became soup. And sometimes we think, well, that's what he says here. All things come together and they work for good. But that's not what it really means. Thankfully, what it really means is this, that all things in your life work together toward like every individual thing in your life, he says, it's going to work towards the good. So it's not like we're going to put it all in one big pot and one day you'll see, trust me, you'll see, it's going to work out. No, he says each individual thing works towards the good. And here's the, the question, well, what is the good? And I have found in my life, and, and, and just uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, our definition of good tends to be much different than God's. So I thought about, am I like, what do I see as good? And it could be something silly. You know, maybe I receive a check in the mail. <laughs> uh, have you ever thanked God for a really good parking space at Target? Like it's like totally packed and you come around the corner. It's like, man, there's one right there in the front. And it feels like, man, God is working all things out for my good. <laughs> the door's right there. You know, maybe it's an unexpected day at work. You know, I remember as a kid, even as a teacher, I taught, you know, school for about six or seven years. And even as a teacher, when I got a snow day, I was like, man, this is a gift from God. I still feel that way. 
but it's man, he's working all things out for good. So it could be things like that. As I've gotten older, you know, it's been things like, well, if I don't get this job, then God must have a better one for me. You know, if this relationship doesn't work out, then he must have someone else who's going to be much better than this person. Or maybe it's a house that you want, and, and you really want that house, but for some reason it doesn't work out, so he must have something else for you. And I want to say this, man, those things are true, because all those three examples, they've happened to me. I've had jobs and relationships and vehicles and houses that just did not work out. I could not understand why. And then months later or years later, it's like, oh, I get it now. This is much better. So these things are true. Okay, I do believe God can provide a parking space, but that's not what this passage means. We think that good generally is, okay, whatever benefits me. Like, whatever helps me, whatever makes my life easier or better or more comfortable. And I just want to say, that's not what this passage is saying. And how do we know it? Because you've got to keep reading. You have 28, but then you have 29 and 30. And what word does 29 start with? It's the word for, which is the same word as because. So you see that 28 and 29 and 30, I mean, it's all connected. It's all together. It's all one thought. So he says this, for or because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's many, well not many, there's quite a few words here that we don't have time to really get into. Okay, but I want to hone in on one point right here. So for those whom he foreknew, if you're a believer here, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are trusting in him for your salvation, okay, that's going to be you. He says that he has predestined you. All right, what does the word predestined mean here? It simply means that he has set a destination for you ahead of time, that there is a place he wants you to be, that he has a purpose and a desire and a plan, and he will get you there. And it's already been set in the future. And what is the destination he has in mind for you, the place he wants me to be? It is to be conformed to the image of his son, of Jesus. That is the good. That's the good that God desires for us. This is the good he has planned for your lives. It's, it's, it, is, <laughs> it is right here. You know, as I read that, you know, one of the thoughts I had, kind of a side note, I love this because, man, I am destined. God says, I am destined to be like Jesus. And the opposite of that, I believe, you know, I am not destined to remain as I am. I'm thankful for that. I am not destined to remain in my struggle. I am not destined to remain in my addiction. I am not destined to be the same for my entire life. He says, no, you are destined. You have been predestined, destined ahead of time to be conformed to the image of his son. He says to be more like Jesus. 
that is the good. And I got a few quotes here from some really smart people. And I always like sharing, you know, maybe you won't believe me, but these are some smart dudes, so you can believe them. Uh, the first one is a guy named Douglas Moo. He, he has probably one of the uh, best commentaries on Romans. And I love this. He says this, everything we do and say, everything people do to us or say about us, every experience we will ever have are all sovereignly used by God for our good. We will not always understand how these things we experience work to good, and we certainly will not always enjoy them. But we do know that nothing comes into our lives that God does not allow and use for what? And his own purposes. Not for my purpose, not my desires, not what I want, but for his purpose. And what is his purpose? What is it that he wants to do? Tim Keller writes this, Paul, and it's about the same passage. Paul means that everything that happens to us is working out for our final and ultimate sanctification, holiness, and salvation. Everything is working together so that we will be conformed to the likeness of his son. This shows us that the good God, sorry, let me start again. This shows us that the good God is always working for us as character change. He is making us as lovable, noble, true, wise, strong, good, joyful, and kind as Jesus is. I love this. Another God writes, God's purpose of all of history. Think about that. His purpose in your life. His purpose of all of history is seen in this phrase. To be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It is an astounding statement. It means that God has a master design or form, and now every circumstance... All things, the design to shape and polish and melt and smooth and sculpt and frame and cast and counter us into the image of Jesus. So I want you to go back to that question that you had at the beginning. If you had one, you know, what is your question to God right now? Or where do you find yourself right now? Or what are your questions about God with where you find yourself, your circumstance? And so many times we want God to do this and we want God to change this and we want God to fix this. And, we, and in our mind, we have all these things that we want God to do. And so sometimes he doesn't do what we want him to do. So we say, where are you? Or are you good? Or why aren't you listening to me? And again, that's so many of the Psalms, and it's good to have those conversations with God. But here is where we see where God's ultimate purpose and plan in your life is right. And if you want to know what God wants to do in your life today, here it is. I want you to be more like Jesus. I want to take everything you face, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and use it to make you more loving and more kind and more patient and more faithful and more generous. I want you to be 
more light. It's to the point when you walk down the street or you walk into your workplace or you walk into the home, people get a glimpse of Jesus. That's his purpose. That's what he wants to do for you and you today and tomorrow and next year. And for the rest of your life, that's his ultimate purpose and plan. Does he care about your future? Yes. Does he have plans that involve careers? And, and, and re- Yes, all those things are true, but his ultimate purpose and plan is right here for you to be more like Jesus. And, and the more you think about that, the more you spend time with that, the more I believe you'll see it. You know, what does James say in chapter 1? He opens his book and says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you see suffering in your life, he says, man, count it as joy. Why is that, James? For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's the Sunday school question. Who is the only one who is perfect? Yeah, good. (laughs) Jesus, so that you may be like Jesus, becoming more like him. Well, how about Peter? You know, Peter opens his book, 1 Peter, and he says this, in this you rejoice. So I want to stop here. This is verses 6 through 7, but if you go back to the verses before that, he's talking about the great inheritance that we have. An inheritance, he says, that cannot be taken away, an inheritance that cannot be defiled, that, man, we will, man, our eternity is set, and we will see this glory. And he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You groan. You see the in-between. And what does God want to do? He says here, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the exact same thing. So Paul's saying it, James is saying it, Peter is saying it, Jesus says it, you see it in the Old Testament. And he goes on in verses 28 through 29 in Romans. He doesn't stop there again. This is all one thought. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What I love about this is the entire picture of salvation. (laughs) I don't get it, I don't understand it, and I'm totally cool with it. It's a mystery of God. But before I was born, God says he knew my name. You know, Acts 17 says, man, God knew the moment I would be born and where I would be born before I was even in existence, before I was even a thought in my parents. Before my parents existed, God knew me. And even in that moment, he says, I've got a plan for Bill. And my plan is to call his name and to justify him and to sanctify him. And I'm going to glorify him. And what is that? I'm going to take him from start to finish, from beginning to end, I'm going to rescue him and save him and redeem him, and I'm going to work in his life to make him more like Jesus. That's my plan for Bill. That's his plan for you. At one point, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, he called your name. 
when you responded to this amazing gospel and you trusted him as your Savior and you begin to follow him, and it's not a perfect, we don't follow perfectly. We have times in which we fall and we fail and we slide away and God is patient, God is good, God is faithful, but all along this in between, what does he want to do? He says, I want you to be more like Jesus to the point that we are glorified. And what does that mean? It's done. And I can't imagine what that like will be when we are, when we are on that beautiful shore. And it is, man, we are like him. We are like him. We will be like him for we will see him as he is, Scripture says. And I love here in Romans, he says, man, he also what? Glorified not glorifies or will glorify. He says, you know what? It's done. It may not seem like it right now, but one day, man, it will be complete. It's a work in progress right now. But as God sees it, as Scripture sees it, man, we are already there, which I don't get, but I trust and I believe it's already taken place. And so here's the second thought. Again, nothing new, but this is huge. God will use everything that comes into your life to make you more like Jesus. And I want to say this. We may not understand why things happen, what is going on, or what we should do, or where this is coming from, or where we should go. And like many psalmists, we we don't have the answers to our questions. But here, Paul tells us something that we can know for sure. This is what God wants to do. And I believe this. This will change your life. If we're in a place right now, our family, we're, we are really kind of in between. We are leaving one thing, and we have no idea what the future holds. So there are some days I'm asking God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. I know, I know that we are where we should be, but I, I don't know what the future is. And I don't know how to get there. I don't know what to do right now. And I can get lost in those questions, but, but I've changed what I've prayed. I, I'm praying in the morning, God, I don't understand these things. And I'm not sure how they're going to work out, but one, I'm going to trust you. But I also know that today what you want to do most of all is make me more like Jesus. And I've been praying that almost daily because it's something I know God wants to do. And even when I'm walking in the midst of confusion and frustration, I can stop, okay, God, right now, you want to use this in my life to make me more like Jesus in some way, so God, do it. And I'm learning more and more. And I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because it sounds, I'm not sure <laughs> if it's right, but I believe Scripture says it. You know, God cares more about who I am than what I will do. And I believe that. And we get that flipped around sometimes. You know, we think that God cares more about what I do or what I will do or what kind of career I have. Because those are all the questions we have, and those are important questions. But God says, you know what's more important than all of that? That you're becoming like Jesus. That is, you know, that's, that's his purpose in all of history. Think about how that would change your perspective. What matters most in the eyes of God is that you know him, you're becoming like him. And he is doing everything he can to get you there. And just real quick, lastly, we could spend so much more time on this, but we don't have the time. 
he continues on in an amazing passage. He says this, and what shall we say to these things? So he's looking back, I believe, in all of chapter 8. We've been rescued. We've been set free. God has given victory. God has delivered us. He's with us during the suffering. He's going to use all the difficult things. And I love this as you look back you know, when you, in my life. Also, when I look back, I'm 47. I, I've learned as I look back to my 20s and 30s and all those things. Man, nothing's been wasted. Like God has been faithful to use everything in my life. Even the things I think, man, this is just a waste. How can he use this? And I look back, he, he uses it. Nothing is wasted. So he looks back and he sees a God who uses everything for our good. And the Spirit is praying for us. And we have this amazing inheritance. We have all these things. We have victory. He says, man, what then shall we say? If God is for us, which he is, then what? Who can be against us? Our future is secure. Our Savior is risen and is with us. Our Savior will take everything we face and use it for eternal good. He who did not spare his own son. This, is, this tells you how, how involved God is. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He will meet you where you are at. Whatever your question is, God will be there. Trust him. Trust him. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who declares that we are right with him. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And there is no more condemnation. If you are a follower of Jesus, man, there is no condemnation in your life. God looks at you and he says, man, you're my child. You are right with me. And you will mess up tomorrow. <laughs> you will mess up next week. And you will fail to meet his commands, but they are forgiven. And God is working in your life. There is no condemnation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Here are those all things again. Shall anything separate us from the love of Christ? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep going to the slaughter. Verse 37, knowing all these things and everything, no matter what we face, he says, man, you are more than conquerors through him. All right, not conquerors because of you or what you can do or your ability or what strength you can muster. You are, you are victorious and you are a conqueror because of what? Because of Jesus and what he has done. For I am sure, and I love, I mean, we all do, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. So lastly, nothing that comes into your life 
can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So just last, I just want to close, I want to encourage you. We have many things that come into our life. And some of them can be extremely difficult and painful and then just things all in between. But we are promised that we have an inheritance that, man, will never be taken away, that glory awaits us. One day God promises I will make everything right. He says, man, I will use everything that comes into your life for good. And what is that good? Again, not to bring comfort or peace all the time or what benefits you, but to make you more like Jesus. And no matter what happens, man, the love of God is there. No matter what. And so my prayer and my hope and my encouragement for you, even tomorrow as you get out of bed, Lord, you know what lies ahead today. You know what I will face today. And may your prayer be, God, use it to make me more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this love. God, again, a love we have not deserved, a love that we cannot earn, but a love that, man, changes us, that rescues us, God. And your desire, your plan, your destination for us is that we would be more like Jesus. So I pray, Lord, as, a, as, as followers of you, as a church, as first church, that would be our truest desire. God, may it be so. May I be more loving and more kind and more, may I be like my Savior and my family and my workplace. Work on our hearts, God. Soften our hearts, God. Uh, and, and may you do what your purpose is through all history. Lord, make us more like your Son. In your name, amen.